This American Dice presents GM Advice, starting a campaign. Get ready as Austin and David lay some smackdown of wisdom on you to tell you how to start that campaign you've been thinking about running for a while. You've got the screen, you've got the dice, you're sitting at the table, your friends are there, there's Mountain Dew. What do you do? Let's find out. So, David, I got this idea. I want to play a role-playing game, and I figure like it'll be a longer thing that we can do kind of a new campaign that we can run. So we'll play a game. It'll be running for a while, you know, like a couple of, uh, like like more than a couple weeks, probably like a few months, maybe a year or so. I want this to be a campaign. I want this to be something longer. That's so um, you, you down? Hey, you know what? I can, I can free up some time. All right. Well, is there anything that I should tell you about this campaign or should we just uh, immediately make characters in whatever system we're using and then start? No, that sounds great. I have a cyberpunk parrot that I've really been wanting to play, so this is awesome. Cool. And my You didn't ask, but their name is Squawky, but with a C Y. I thought it would be like Squawk E with like an E at the end of the E is a three or something. Oh, I love that. Actually, I'm writing that down. Okay. And uh yeah. Well that's 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 interesting that you want to play that character because it's mostly a um medieval vampire drama that you're going to play that in. So this will be interesting how we incorporate this character. And um, Lee's character, of course, is like a drunk guy who's a detective, but he's screaming about um, how he loves Journey, the band. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we could make that work, though, right? They're, they're probably fine. Could we make it work? Yes. Have we made it work? You've heard the evidence. Yes. The answer is no. <laughs> um, so the goal of this GM advice episode is to we, tell we you... got him. That oh, was just, that was a goof. That was just a goof. Roasted. The goal of this episode <laughs> is to uh, of this GM advice episode is to tell you about how to start a campaign and some tips for starting a campaign uh, of a role playing game. Not system specific but starting a role-playing game and um we're gonna use our experiences to help you out with suggestions of what to do and often what not to do so i'm austin my name's david and this is this american dice presents gm advice starting a campaign it's me, Fireworks. Squawky. Come on down. <laughs> oh my gosh, the time just came up. I just realized it didn't actually go up. Hopefully, we didn't lose that really good skit that we did. Yeah, that impromptu my, skit. My my time's been up here the whole time, so we're oh, okay. Good. That's probably okay. Thank God. A host thing, then. Yeah. God, so so much responsibility for the hosts. All right. So, so, much, so much, so much. So what, David, what's on? What are you thinking about? What are what are you? What are we talking about? What's so the, what are we talking about? Delio. <laughs> Starting a campaign. Yeah. Okay. So you and I have kind of traded back and forth with our longer campaigns for the show. Um, I started off with L5R. Then you ran Dragon by Spire Peak. Then now we're doing This American Monster, the Monster of the Week game. Um, afterwards, we'll do the My Little Pony game that you ran. After mm -hmm. that... We'll do the Turbo Teen Chronicles that I ran. And then after that, we'll go back to your Power Rangers meets Ninja Turtles crossover that you did. But romantic comedy. Oh, 100%. You're giving, you're giving a lot of spoilers here, but I'm, I'm here for it. It's fine. I mean, what the shell? But yeah, you got it. So periodically, we when we're discussing what we want to do with a campaign... We run into some hiccups and uh, campaigns, I feel, are more prone to those than shorter games. One shots tend to lend themselves towards goofiness and craziness, or they have a very specific kind of vibe that they're trying to yeah. go for. And it's so, like, it yeah, really I was going to say, sorry, <laughs> I was so going to say one shots are great because it's like one mood. We got it. Nailed it. If it's yeah. like comedy or like a trophy thing, like. I don't know, despair, I guess, or, um, uh, there's some other games. Surely there's, uh, like, Golden, nope, there's no Golden other sky ones. stories about like joy that, uh, one shots are great at getting like one mood, but like a campaign, I feel you, 
like depending on what you're running, it's got to be like a mix of things. Yeah, it's almost as if a if you compare making a short film to making a series of a show or making a movie where when you have a short film, you can kind of like get all the, the you have a very specific story you're telling, you're getting to that point like very quickly. That's a one shot. When you're doing a campaign, it's much more like a TV series where, okay, what is the point of this show? What is the mood of this show? We have to get all these things across. And there's a lot more hiccups that we can run into. We wanted to give some suggestions. If you're okay with this, David, I'm going to hop in and just start out. Do it. All right. So the first one is something we've already talked about, which is cats. Concept, aim, tone, subject matter. Cats. With a campaign, you really need to discuss this kind of stuff with your players before the game starts. Um, just to recap, concept is here's the here's the elevator pitch for this game, the high high level. What the fuck is this game about? Kind of a thing. Cats, like, like condense into like one sentence, basically. Yes, if you can turn this into one or two sentences, what could you tell a person on an elevator? This, if this was a show, what would it be about? This is your pitch to the studio executive as you're like, uh, Mister So and So. Like, this is what you're trying to tell them to get them to be like, listen, kid, call my assistant. Here's a number like that kind of a deal. And you'd be like, Mr. Moonvest, aren't you like a sexual predator? And he'd oh, be God. like, oh, whoops. And he'll jump out of the window. Um, the, the next thing is, so that's concept. The next thing is aim. Explain what the players are trying to accomplish. So like, what... Are we trying to tell a specific kind of story? What is it? Is this a heist story? Is this a story about revenge? Is this a story about, uh, is this a dungeon crawl? What's the deal there? So that yeah. kind of stuff is important. I feel that's especially important for like players. Like think about it from the, the kind of the player side of things, like for the aim, like what kind of character should I be making here? To, yes. To like be as cool as they can. Yeah, because if you've created a character, if you've created a game that's a dungeon crawl, if you're a character who doesn't fit into that, it doesn't really work out. If it's like, okay, well, we're going to be exploring the, what is it in Lord of the Rings? The Mines of Moria? The Mines of Moria. We're going to be going through the Mines of Moria. That's this game. That's the whole mm -hmm. game. And you're like, well, my character is a courtier of the high court of so-and-so. And it's like, well, <laughs> then you probably won't make any sense in this game. And if you're trying to, like, leverage political blah, 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 if that's your whole deal, and you're trying to be like, but will it be revealed that my second cousin and I have actually been in a secret romance? Like, this maybe won't be the best situation. Figure those things out. And if you can pitch that to the character, the characters, the players, if you can tell the players what the deal is, what the aim of the game is, that's probably a good idea to do so earlier rather than later. Yeah, because, yeah, especially from the, like I said, from the player side, it makes it way easier to come up with something that will actually fit with the group. Yes. The next one, tone. So tone is... Not that you player know, we had in Alpha yeah. Bar, but... <laughs> yeah. Tone, is the game going to be more serious? Is it going to be action adventure Is it going to be um, kind of a comic book? Uh, what's the deal with that? So you could talk about um, the way I put our um, Masks Action Punks game was it's like the tick where there's a million superheroes and they're all these crazy people. So when there's a character who's named captain football <laughs> who's just a football player who has superpowers of being a football player that yeah. fits just fine yeah perfect i was i was about to say uh this is where you give your uh like uh media references like especially if you can think like maybe three or four like movies or tv shows or books or whatever yeah you know what media means um any of those like this is kind of what we're going for these are the stories that are similar like, think of it in this kind of a, I keep saying lens, but think of it in this kind of lens. You did a great job with the, um, that Headspace game that we played, but did not record, which I would love to 
try again at some point. You did a great job. We can of, like, never speak of it, but we <laughs> lest lest we once again get the <laughs> constabulary here. The um, one of the things that you said was think dread, not judge dread with St Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> like you, you pointed those two out, and I was like, that was a great way to put that. Like you gave all these impressions of that. I did a similar thing where I said, you know. We want these superheroes think the tick that can work out in that masks game, but don't go um, like, don't go super dark. Don't go like dark Knight returns kind of like, like I'm swastika man. I'm an evil Nazi. Like, <laughs> oh like okay. That's more than yeah. we want to do in this. Yeah. I feel unless it's like over the top, like tick does. Where the it's tick like could do that making times, fun of yeah. making fun of that kind of thing. Yeah. So oh, like, I think there was an NPC in that that was something similar to that, wasn't there? It was a while ago for me. Uh well it's in the action punks. It's available both on YouTube and in oh, our podcast yeah. feed. Oh, don't want to spoil it then. Um so and the last one is subject matter. Basically, what ideas are going to be explored what will make people uncomfortable what are the boundaries what's the rating of the show so starting a campaign cats is a useful thing to talk through with your players and figure out as a group what do you want and i say figure that out as a group because you might come to this and say this is what i want to do and your players might say like eh, i don't know about that would it be funny? Would it be okay if it was this? And you'll have to make the decision. Yes or no, essentially. Like, that is okay. Or I'm willing to tolerate it, but I have to change something. So what do I have to change? So, like, this is a good starting point for the characters. And Matt Coville refers to this as pitching the campaign. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's interesting. And as a fun tidbit, I learned where the term campaign came from. I think I sort of know this, but please let me know. Um, apparently, apparently it comes from the role-playing game's roots in wargaming hobbies. And so it was like, oh, here's a campaign, a series of these conflicts that you would play out. Yeah. That old... And so this was this campaign. Have you ever seen those in those... Uh, um... I mean, for us in Florida or central Florida, it's sci-fi city, but like these like older kind of um, game stores will have these uh, war campaigns still from like the 80s and 90s and earlier um, where they're just in kind of like big like freezer bag size, like plastic bags. And they're like the war of 1812. And like it's just full of little cards with a fact like um, not facts, but statistics and things on them. And it's your responsibility to get little miniatures and figure it out and get your ruler out and everything so it was like one war campaign at a time so wild <laughs> the evolution of this yeah i always thought that would be really cool to do i also don't have the mathematical skills patience <laughs> or um competence to do any of those things so instead i play make-believe in my own head and yeah. uh <laughs> Yeah. So, so I was going to say a couple things, to hopefully not to derail us. So edit this out. But um, do you want to go through our three major games like Cats now as examples? I think that would be helpful. Ooh, that'll be tough. I would love to do one each. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, three I think might be rough, but yeah, give, <laughs> give me, give me. You start. You start this off, Chum, who suggested it. Sure. Yeah. I think uh, going through this, if I were to, so Doyce was my big big one um i think the concept of this it's um and it and uh it's tricky because two of these my mine and your first one were both uh like pre-published adventures so it's interesting but i think the concept they're going for it's a classic kind of um almost video game-esque um dungeon crawl and there's some kind of secret mystery going on in this area this new area that the pcs kind of move to F find out what what's happening 
what's disturbing the peace here, I guess, is the pitch, right? And let's see, the aim would be the regular kind of D&D, like dungeon crawling, um, but also ingratiating yourself with this like one tiny village, Fandolin. So the goal is to kind of become part of this town and save it, but also defeat whatever nefarious forces are at work here would be the aim. The tone here, I, I tried to go for um, lighthearted. I, I said, uh, I think I gave Marisa the notes and Eduardo and Austin later. Adventure Time was a big kind of inspiration of kind of lighthearted adventure, but you could have darker moments from time to time. I think it's cheating to say like D&D in general, but uh, what else would I do? Like kind of like Willow, maybe that's another good one. I don't think I gave that to people, but that's kind of what it ended up as. And then subject matter. So that's kind of uh, what could be scary, you know, or, or triggering for people or, and especially I, I kind of choose, I kind of uh, interpret subject matter as like kind of the movie rating. I use that a lot. So I went with uh, like PG and sometimes like PG 13. Um, and I don't think we trying to think of subject matter we touched on that could be like really rough. I guess like colonialism, maybe <laughs> like some kind of weird stuff with that, with the orc people. But uh, yeah, some like cartoonish violence. I don't think we got into like really specific gore stuff, but I think that's pretty much the cats for how Doyce went. References to badger penises. That, well, I cut some of them out, but I kept some of them in just for you. Yeah. Um, if I had to go the cat's direction with uh, the Monster of the Week game, the This American Monster, the concept is uh, a shadowy corporation attempts to collect supernatural specimens and phenomena uh, is the the concept and the aim of the game is you know mystery by mystery you guys are going to be dealing with some kind of supernatural thing that you're attempting to capture uh for the benefit like like at the behest of this company and um the tone is where it kicks in because it's a combination of, I would say, X-Files. And and I know we disagreed on this at certain points, but X-Files slash maybe a little bit Buffy the Vampire Slayer, though I am was less familiar with that than I thought I had been. I thought I knew more about Buffy the Vampire Slayer than I did when we started. Um, so a lot of X-Files and... Um, Meets, honestly, law and order. Uh, and then finally, for subject matter, for like the the rating of the game, uh, the way I definitely PG-13 to R. Uh, I think we put it at some point, when does this show air? Does it air before 9 o'clock or after 9 o'clock? And that was a great way that you put it. And I was like, I think this show would air after 9 o'clock. Because for the most part, it's not crazy, but there's enough death and blood and that kind of stuff where it's like, we got to really, we can't have this on at seven o'clock and be like, oh, it's running opposite New Girl or whatever it is. If that is a show that even exists in anyone's memory at this point. Uh, yes. And that show is awesome. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. I think that works pretty well. And we I also should uh we should mention um so I, I i learned about cats from the the gauntlet podcast people but it was a like a 200 word rpg thing by patrick o'leary god bless him keep him safe um that kind of uh went to a lot of you know a lot of people saw this and there's also other methods to do this aside from cats but i think we just kind of settled into using cats it's pretty effective but i know there's like the one page thing that uh, I don't know who else does this, but uh, they do like a um, 
I might be getting this term wrong. I think Sly Flourish does this, where it's like a, a one pager where you fill in kind of the the goals and ideas of the campaign ahead of time, and everyone kind of does that as a group. But no matter what you do, you should at least. Uh, oh, and Lines and Veils is another really popular one for uh, I guess like subject matter kind of thing. Like if there's stuff you don't want to deal with in a game, you can kind of get that out of the way ahead of time. Yeah, I think the Lines and Veils stuff is more useful than the X card thing because mm -hmm. I think that's just. I think the point of the X card is just to the point of the X card is just to reiterate to people at the table, hey, if you have a problem with a thing, speak up. Yeah. It's just to give them a tool to do that. Um so yeah, I think the yeah, X card I is think that's, very that's really it, all it is. Yeah, I was gonna say I think the the X card is very valuable at like cons or when you're playing with strangers, but you're getting into a campaign of like several months or a year or more with people, you probably know them well enough that you hopefully won't need to use the X card. Although, you know, definitely use it if you need to, just in case. But yeah, I think either way, the uh, the real takeaway from here is have a conversation about the campaign before you start it, like a like session zero, so that everyone can kind of talk about what the expectations are before you get into it. Because you don't you want to have that. At session zero instead of like session 20 and everyone's on the wrong page and the game is awful and no one likes it and what are we going to do now kind of thing yeah okay well um so i've pitched that to my players i got that whole idea we've i've given them the concept the aim the tone the subject matter um i'm ready to start planning stuff for what they're going to do and I'm ready to start running things. Here's one of my early suggestions is have the players be connected to one another in the world. Some games build this in. Dungeon World does this. Monster of the Week. Oh, I forget if it does it or not. I think it does. Yeah, I but think so. Oh, it was kind. Of, it was the uh, like the first mission or whatever. Yes, kind of situation. That's what it is. The Gilman for Apo us. Apocalypse World does it. Masks does it. The powered by the Apocalypse games do a, almost all do a good job. Essentially, of telling the character, the players, your characters need to be connected to one another, and be grounded in the world that this that they exist in, mm. and that's super important. If you are running a game in a system that doesn't automatically do that, you need to bring that in in some way or another. The characters should beforehand be connected to each other. This can easily be you're all part of the same um, army regiment. Okay, you're all automatically connected. Uh, tell me one thing that you're known for in the regiment. Okay, you're you're the guy who always rushes in. Oh, I'm like like that deal. Like I'm the guy who always is uh, who's always known for hanging around and writing his girl back home. Like that kind mm -hmm. of a deal. Like I'm the wild party animal who's who you you always got you always got to find me at the at the bar at the uh, and, and 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 haul me out so I can I can make it to the front line and t like that kind of a deal. So you've got those things where the characters know each other. There's no need then to introduce them to one another. Um, they've already got that stuff together. And ideally, they're connected to the world in some kind of way. I can remember um, in high school, a guy that we played with, and he talked about how he created this character who was basically a ninja. So he's basically like kind of a feudal Japanese ninja. And then the world that they played in was on this giant pirate ship. And he was like, why would I be on this pirate ship? That's <laughs> stupid. And all I could think was, well, it sounds like two people did something wrong. Yeah. Like, like you made this character who wouldn't make sense to exist in any situation other than what you thought. And the other person didn't tell you, Hey, 
this is where the game is going to be. I don't have a medieval Japanese-esque <laughs> uh, place for you to exist in. We're doing it this way. Eh, why don't you make a character who can work there? Maybe your ninja character can exist on this ship. Like, make sure that your character can be connected to the world. And ideally, um, if as a person running the game, you could ask the player beforehand in a session zero a few questions to tie them into the world, that works really, really well. And if you could ask them some questions and... Um, I would even say, depending on the kind of players you have, have them ask some questions about themselves and say, as we work, we'll try to answer these questions by tying you to the world. So, you know, like, why is it that I ended up at this castle? Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's a huge question. Like, all right, we'll work to figure that out. Between the two of us, we'll figure that shit out as we go. Um, where is, uh, where is my uncle, the regent? Hey, that's a huge question. Like, let's work to figure that stuff out as we go. And if it doesn't come up, especially if you're not recording the game, it really doesn't fucking matter. Like, who cares? <laughs> but, um, like you can work that stuff out and figure those things out kind of on camera in quotes. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a thing that Powered by the Apocalypse things, like games, I should say, uh, use all well. the time. Like uh, ask leading questions and then kind of write them down and make sure to reintroduce them later. But, I mean, if you're not playing a Powered by the Apocalypse game, I feel just steal it because it's just so yeah. powerful. It's so good. Just ask, like, those those examples you gave are really good, but just like, uh, oh, you're, I mean, to use your, your bad example from before, um, hey, n ninja friend, um, why did you have, why were you so desperate that you were on the ship? Like, why, why is this voyage across the sea so important to you? Like a leading question that has like a very important answer and write as a GM, like write that shit down and make sure like underline it, circle it, whatever, bring it up like as soon as, as you can, you know? Because it, I feel like, um, as a player, there's nothing cooler than kind of uh, introducing something to the uh, world and then having it reincorporated later. Like that just yes, makes role playing so. games like that's that's like the special sauce, right? That's like what makes them fun. Oh yeah, if you can, if you can get a player's something from a player's background, and you can kind of bring it up. It gets them invested in what's going on. Um, not only as characters, but as players, because this is a thing they thought up, and now you're using that thing, and oh, shit. And that works out very, very well. So that's always, whenever you can use their stuff, go for it. The players who come in with, I have this whole backstory, I have all of this stuff about my character, it can be annoying and it can be frustrating to read all of that. Um, I would suggest to tell them, keep that minimal. Um, but if you've got these ideas, uh, don't discourage players from having these ideas. If they've got them, try to incorporate some of them. The ones that you think are interesting and the ones that you think will work with the setting and the plot of the game and uh, the tone of the game, even more importantly, utilize those things so that way um you you can get the player invested in what's going on yeah like the buy-in yeah that buy-in uh, that buy-in is is important and if they've got an idea and you can play off that idea they will be more bought in yeah and um <laughs> i have kind of probably more of a, an aversion to the uh the one or more multiple page backstory than you do perhaps Austin, but um whenever i whenever i encounter those my response is always um like that's really cool i'm not reading this but think of ways to bring that up during the game for instance like flashbacks and things yeah um i 
I, you and I have a difference on that stuff about the character backstory. I don't think it's a problem for a person to have that long backstory and that kind of stuff. I think coming in before we've met the characters is a bad idea. But once we've established the characters and you develop more and more about this character, um, I don't think that's bad. But I do think you as a GM, you as the person running the game, should listen to those things, pull from that stuff as much as possible. Should you want the other person to bring it up? Yes. But at the same time... Um, you don't want it to be a totally one-sided thing in which you're like, <laughs> you're like, all right, you walk down the corridor and the person's like, oh, I'm walking down the corridor. And then I remember how my sister used to look at me when I was a child. And there I was staring at the like sunflower seeds. The sunflower seeds reminded me of my, like, uh, you don't necessarily want it oh, to yeah. rely on that too much <laughs> because almost no one's going to give you that. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. I think that's a that's a really interesting point. Like we might just be in um <laughs> I I will admit like a um I don't know, a better situation than than most groups since you and I are both um usually, you know, we're both forever GMs in the, in a certain like there's usually one person that's always GM no matter what and both of us are that person but we rotate so it makes it easier. Mm -hmm. So, I think uh and especially the people that all of our guests are awesome. So they're kind of, uh, if not in the exact same boat, pretty similar. So I think there's a lot more trust of like, all right, thanks for that backstory. I'm not going to, not even going to read it. Um, you got to trust me to ask you these leading questions and bring it up piecemeal. So um, I think I'm just in a maybe a privileged situation where um, I don't have to read them. Cause I'm like, don't worry, just trust me to ask you questions and please use all of your, you know, two or three page backstory to answer those questions. And it's worked out pretty well. Hmm. But yes, I can totally agree with you. Uh, there's a just depends on the table a lot too. an easy thing you can do is uh, encourage the players to have characters that are connected to one another in the world, like I've said, so oh yeah, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But so encourage the characters to say, so and so is my brother. Oh, so-and-so and I have been partners for a long time. Um, even if you have kind of characters who are pretty different, say, you know, um, we're distant cousins or we're old friends or um, the Lord that tasked me with the thing that I'm most interested in is the father that he is trying to gain favor favor with like that kind of deal oh yeah yeah like that's a great point yeah the I sister think... that the sister that he's trying to save was my lost girlfriend yeah like have those whenever you can have those ties together so then there's a reason you are connected as characters and we don't have to we don't all it means is then that like the mission or the the plot or whatever it is, it gets you guys on the page the same page more easily. Yeah, it's a um, team and not strangers or even adversaries. Yes. And you can be adversarial with one another, but it makes sense to be connected to one another. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking, I mean, a while ago at this point, but speaking of uh, stealing mechanics to use in whatever game you want, like fiasco does a great job of that of they do it randomly of everyone gets a relationship to each other but um what the thing i would steal and have for sure in the past just even your physical um i don't know proximity to people like around the table like everyone like you have think of a relationship to the to the uh sorry think of a relationship to the player sitting to your left you two come up with something interesting and then the player to your right, think of something else. So you're going to at least have two connections. Oh my gosh. You're going to at least have two connections to uh, people. And uh, yeah, super interesting. Like Fiasco does that really well, very interestingly. They do it randomly. I don't know if I'd go that far, but that could also be 
That could make a really interesting campaign too, though. We we did that long ago in the uh, very failed Firefly beginners campaign that we ran, um, where I basically said, "Okay, the person to your left, how do you know them?" Like, and we just went around where you were sitting. Yeah, where it's like everyone where you were sitting determined how you knew one another, and then we had these different options. Yeah, which I think that's brilliant. That's really fun. So, but if you have the characters already have a connection to one another and a connection to the story, it's useful. For sure, yeah. And it it grounds them in a way that isn't the, here are these random ass people sitting in a bar. Um, you're waiting for them to find something to do. You're waiting for them to go to the... Um, what is it called? The bulletin board that has adventures, that kind of thing. Wow, so how, it, it, how dare you show on Doyce so accurately with, <laughs> I'm, with one player that works perfectly. You don't need that. She's got that all already there. <laughs> when you have a one player game that works perfectly, or if you have an already established adventure group, who's looking for that stuff, it makes sense. But if you're the danger is, like oh you guys are all sitting in a tavern um what do you do and you're kind of waiting for them to fumble around to go like oh i guess i'll meet this guy like no don't do that start at the next level that you're already a group looking for a job and now here is in the tavern the the bulletin board that says drummers wanted (laughs) uh we're kiss baby whatever it is i think you might be leading into my my next suggestion here is um like just just always start a campaign in media rest just like you're already a group we we set up the bonds beforehand at the table um what's the first cool thing that you do that kind of gives everyone a like a fun moment to show who they are and like what kind of player or what kind of character they are um so just start at at the most interesting point you could so starting off in media res i think is a great idea and a suggestion that I have pretty regularly is ha- not have pretty regularly. Jesus, a suggestion that I have for folks is have a task for them that sets the tone of the game. And beginning things in media res works perfectly with that, because if the goal here is you guys are bank robbers, and what you're trying to do is stay one step ahead of the cops in this in this uh, weird world where you're like trying to balance your connections to the underworld and trying to stay under the radar of the authorities. If you start off where you're already robbing a bank, that sets the tone very, very well with what's going on. Like having a task that the players can are already involved in really, really works. If you have a game that um, is a kind of more traditional Dungeons and Dragons game where you plan for it to be um, not a dungeon crawl, but a more like a little bit more of a politically oriented thing where the characters are going to have to infiltrate places in a city per se, something like that. If you start them off as, oh, you're already in the process of trying to steal this painting from Lord Grunderbluck or whatever the (laughs) fuck it is like that works because, okay, we're doing this thing and we know that there are real people involved in this as we're robbing Lord Grunderbluck, you know, we can see him. We can see other people who will come up later. You set that tone. You, plant those seeds for what's going to go on later. Yeah, it's like a pre- preview of what you think the rest of the campaign will be. Yeah, and even if it is the first adventure, the good thing is or the first couple sessions, the good thing there is you've given that to the characters and the characters know it very quickly. The problem is if you create a, a game that's supposed to be very, very political and you don't have anything for them to do, and so what do they do? Well, I, you know especially if you've very poorly described this to them. Well, I've made this character who's 
um, a crazy violent warrior and everything's supposed to be political and all the stuff that's going on in court. Well, I rush in and I try to chop everybody in half with an ax. Like, <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that doesn't work with what's going on here. Um, are we going to just run into a situation where this character dies or this character's in jail? And then really the story becomes about getting them out of jail and it takes a crazy deviation. If you instead <laughs> discuss that stuff with the players and also have that those first minimum one session, if not a couple of sessions where you are uh, going through something that is indicative of what your what the rest of the campaign is going to be about. Like if it mm -hmm. gives you an idea of that, that's good. If it has to be multiple parts, you have to make sure those parts are very, very short. So if it has to be something where, yeah, there's some action where you're going into a dungeon and getting something, and then afterwards you have to get back and do some negotiating, all of that has to be condensed, I'd argue, into the first session. Mm -hmm. So that way the players see that, okay, even in one session, this shit's going to be here. And I think you'll need to make a point to of those elements are regularly in the game. So similarly, don't have the game start out as, you know, you're all in court and you're arguing. And then afterwards, after the first game session, you go to the people, dungeon. Yeah. Then afterwards you're in the dungeon and you're fighting <laughs> the hell beasts or the opposite. You're fighting the hell beasts. And then afterwards you're at the emperor's court and you're like, oh, here, I'm here with my bloody axe. And people are like, Oh, what do you want from me? <laughs> like, that's not like, it doesn't, it can be funny <laughs> for sure, but it's, it, it does. It doesn't work. Like make sure they understand what's going on and make sure you give that to them as their first adventure to let them know this is what this game is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like get the tone down like as quickly as possible. Yes, very much so. Yeah, and just also if it's an action game, especially like start an action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. A suggestion that I have um, to establish some of, some of those connections. Um, if people don't know how their characters are connected to one another, if they don't know how they're connected to the world, um, if you're not sure, whatever it might be, use flashbacks. And a thing that you may have noticed that I do in my Dungeon World games is we have the start of the game and we start out doing something and then we flash back to how the fuck did we get here and how are we connected to each other. And that I think works really, really well. Use those flashbacks. You don't have to do all of them at one time, but say, you know, all right, after you've broken into the brigands hideout and you've freed um, the blacksmiths, uh, the blacksmith and his daughter, how, how did you and the cleric meet one another? Like how, how is it that you guys know each other? Like, let's see the first time that you guys met one another. And then you just go through that scene. And the advantage that you have there is, you've got these characters who are already buds are already working together. Now, when we see how they meet, it builds, it builds up to that. Um, similarly, if you need to, for motivations for the characters, we've talked about this before. Um, if you say, all right, all of you guys are at the entrance to the dungeon, you have to go in there and defeat the ogre bone gnasher and get the dragon orb. Um, well, now you can flash back and say, you know, when you talk to the wizard Nethril who tasked you with this, what was it that he promised you that got you to go along with this task? Like now you've, you've said you've, you're already on the task what got you to do that. And now we can reference those things. So those flashbacks can be pretty useful. They can be a pretty easy tool to help you out there. 
Yeah, and that's just kind of a like a thing in fiction too. Like, think of your favorite novels or your favorite um, movies. I feel they almost always do that same thing. They uh, kind of set the action in motion and then explain it later. Like, don't worry about it until it's absolutely necessary for your, for you know people to know about it. And doing an improv is trickier, but it's kind of the same principle. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you think about um, lots of like noir types detective stories, you get you go to so and so, so and so owes me, and usually when we get to so and so, the character will remind you like, "Listen, Jimmy, two times, you owe me for blo- You owe me for. Don't forget about Istanbul." And Jimmy two times is like, "Istanbul." You'll never let that go, will you? Like that kind of a thing. And then later we'll learn what the deal is there. It doesn't have to be laid out. Possibly it doesn't need to be described at all, depending on how tight this game is and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, like Star Wars was so in media res that like, what, 15 years later, they had nine hours of content and prequel flashback out. Somebody... I, I saw a great thing that was everyone views Han Solo as this amazing guy and this amazing hero, but really he's just a dude who lives in his car with a dog and <laughs> owes so much money to people that he has to join the army. <laughs> I yeah, that was pretty funny. Anyway, so that's my deal. Have a task for them that sets the tone um, and connects the players to one another. That's really good. I did. I did make a note here of that game, uh, Blaze in the Dark, and the mm-hmm. ones that use the same system, like Scum and Villainy, and such. Um, they have a whole mechanic based around like flashbacks, like because it's all kind of heist related, mm-hmm. so or mission related at the very least. So it's like don't don't spend six sessions making your mission plan. Just do the mission, and then. They have a mechanic that uh, you can just use flashbacks during as you're figuring stuff out to be like, oh, well, I bribed this, you know, guard a week ago. Therefore, they let us go, go in or like, well, this person's my ex. Therefore, she's she's very interested in letting us in or something like that. Yeah. So I've never I've only played that like two or three times, never a campaign, but I'm very interested in how that works. And I've heard very good things about it another mechanic that you could steal for, for games that aren't that, or you can just play that game. Well, my last big suggestion, if I've got anything is about the big plot. And it is two parts. And I think they kind of go in opposite directions. So I'm going to try to put this, I'm going to try to throw this at you in a way that makes the most sense. My first idea would be, when you've got a big plot for things at first, keep them out of the way. Let yourself get to focus instead on that task, focus on those things that set the tone and then get the big plot in later. So if you've got this larger thing where, you know, you have these criminals who are doing these heists, start out with a heist. And then after that heist, we'll get into um, the big connection with um, like this secret underground ring of blah, 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 where all these people are connected. Like that kind of stuff can happen afterwards. Let's see that heist, set the tone, and then we'll get into that bigger plot later. So that's my first suggestion. My other suggestion that kind of changes that is Depending on how your plot is going to work, keep it clear and make it very plain to the players. So if you have a game that uh, is all about, you know, we have to collect these various artifacts to defeat this dragon, to defeat this demon, to blah, blah, blah. We've got to get um, the sword, the crown, the shield... Of, yeah, speak of, of Superanophrius, 
And then afterwards, we have to find the demon and then slay the demon. Okay, if it's those five steps, and really this is going to be broken down into five chapters, that game is very plain. We're good. We've got it. We know what's going on. From the very start, we know we have to defeat the demon. If that's the case, awesome. Good. We're fine. If it's instead like the Monster of the Week game, where we have these different kind of disparate mysteries and there is something in the background that's going on, I would argue, and I learned this from the Monster of the Week game, make that plot more clear. Don't worry about fucking up the mystery. Don't worry about you've revealed too much. Give them more rather than less. Because otherwise it's going to be confusing or just too subtle, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So if you have what I call a nonlinear plot, which isn't really the same, but if you have a plot that isn't clear from day one, instead, give them an idea of what's going on. I regret that with the L5R game at times where I didn't just tell you guys more. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I forget. Um, I want to I say this is Robin Laws, but I, I might be, who knows? Some, some, some very wise GM at one point said, um, like, the rule of threes, like, if you have some kind of, like, plot secret or something, you should always give, like, minimum three clues to the players because they will not get it. They might not even get it after three. So always have, like, three big clues to whatever stuff is going on in the background, like, plot-wise or mystery wise, especially. Yeah. Uh, Matt Coville talked about that where he said like, have lots of those things built in. So you don't run into dead ends. Mm -hmm. My own suggestion on our very feed had been <laughs> just tell people a lot of that stuff because most people won't notice it. Like in an Agatha Christie book, you can have it be super subtle because in the end you can have your super smart detective say like, I had noticed that the whole time. Ha ha. I'm so <laughs> smart in in a game, you have a super subtle clue and the players don't notice it. If that stops the game, that's shitty. If that prevents them from knowing stuff, it's easier. Like the example I use was like, oh, if you're going down a river, um, once uh, a, a person missing an eye would be less likely to notice something on one side of the ship. Like, oh, okay, well... <laughs> that requires so many fucking steps to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Like you really don't want to have that be the big thing that clues everybody into ha ha. It couldn't have been so-and-so instead you would rather like, like be more obvious, like just don't rely. The players aren't detectives mm -hmm. is part of it. So don't rely on that. Um, similarly with the big plot, let them know what's going on. Keep that stuff. If keep it out of the characters, tell the players, you know, like, Oh, this is what's hap happening. Let them know what's going on. It'll, I think be beneficial to give them that information. Uh, because otherwise you run the risk of PCs, just not knowing what's going on. And, going blah, uh, blah, I don't know what's up. What do you mean by the big plot? If there's a larger plot to stuff, um, more so than what's right in front of them, if the only goal is, you know, if this is kind of an old school D&D &D game and your characters are at the tavern, you heard that there's treasure in the mines, and you went in the mines to get that treasure, then there's no larger plot. You're fine. Do that stuff. But if what's going on is, you know, you've been going to these different mines and all this stuff, but really secretly behind the scenes, the mayor of the town has been manipulating things. And like that stuff, it needs to be more obvious. Don't be super subtle about it. That'll mm. just bite you in the ass. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think it might be worth, I, this is what I, I was fearing you were saying, but it sounds like not at all, but um, 
one thing that's maybe worth saying is too like when you start a campaign as as the gm like don't have a like big overarching storyline in mind like keep things as open as possible like just the the barest notes of what's happening um to kind of allow the players to fill in the blanks like especially if you're asking open-ended questions and things like they're definitely going to come up with more interesting ideas than you or like even like a professional at Wizards of the Coast could like write. So I always try to keep in like interesting things that could, you know, surprise even you as the person running it. Oh yeah. Definitely leave blank spaces in what's going on, but I don't know if I agree with you with don't have anything there in that bigger picture. It depends on the game that you're running. And that's where it comes back to that cat stuff. Like, is there something bigger going on? If there is, let the players know that. So then as they're building stuff and they're talking about what's going on and they're doing things, that's there. Um, And that you know it's there. Because otherwise you run into a situation of the characters are just taking this piecemeal. Um and they, they can't figure it out. I once had an activity where you took uh, like fake trash from a person and tried to figure out what their job was. So you took like the fake contents of, of a, like the, of a waste basket and you looked through it and tried to see what was this person's job? What, what do we know about this person? Mm-hmm. And there were some people who would see each item and they would just think about that item. They wouldn't, piece the things together the deal is mine's with all the, use condoms yeah exactly what activity am i getting uh you, you yeah you're a special <laughs> effects artist who just worked with those squibs mm-hmm. um but yeah so if you just looked at each of the separate things you got a hundred different things from all of the different items but if you pieced it together, you'd get very clearly, oh, this person is obviously blah, blah, blah. Hmm. It's tough for players to do that. So if you encourage them and you organize things in such a way where from the very start, you're telling them, hey, this is the big thing. Even if it's out of character, that your player doesn't know that, you're still just thinking like, yeah, I just keep going hmm. to the board and blah, 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 like, then they understand what's up. And when there are those bigger things later that can click into their head and they can work through it. Um, I think a problem, I think a problem comes in when the players focused entirely on steps, their steps, they're focused on the one, two, three. And instead you're like, Oh, well you clearly didn't understand the eight, nine. (laughs) (laughs) Like, got him okay well yeah it's not easy. yeah actually that's a good point um it remind it also reminds me that uh that move in i think mo- most if not all the power by the apocalypse games like the gm move of like somewhere like some formulation of hinted future badness you know mm-hmm. kind of just essentially foreshadow things that are happening like off camera yeah to i mean if you want to I mean, almost a nuclear option, but I think it's can be used very effectively. Just uh, not even just hinted things like, oh, and the mastermind, the volcano is twiddling, like <laughs> very much like you just were doing accidentally, but like steepling the fingers and like, oh, well, these these uh, super secret side spies will never get my parrot reserved. Fuck you, Squawky. Um, we did that in uh, Dungeon World after the last battle. We had that, I think, if I may toot my own horn. Please do. Hold on. Let me just get my balls into this. <laughs> um, Wrong horn. Yeah. Um, but uh, in that after the Dungeon World after the last battle game, one of the things that we had happen was I would periodically tell you guys like oh something's going on that's wrong and your character was a cleric and carl's character who was a wizard it would be like oh you can sense something's happening something's changing and it was because there was like a dragon that was being hatched yeah 
And so you guys could sense it and there was something up. And I would try to do that to kind of give you the heads up of, hey, there's a ticking clock. Shit's going down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that can be very effective, especially if, um, you know, uh, the players are like, what? what is even happening now? Yeah. But if the, the way I put this, and I, I don't like this terminology that I used, I said if it's nonlinear, but what I mean is if you don't have from the very start a clear goal that they're going to be working through for the whole time, if instead things are more subtle or we're finding out more what to play, if you have a plot in the background, make it more clear. I regret that in... I don't think I could do that in the L5R game the way the L5R game worked, but I regret not making the important things more important. And uh, I regret in the This American Monster game at times not just telling you guys like, okay, this is this is kind of the deal. Like, let's focus in on this. Hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, uh, I, and I, I guess the, the one other, the last note that I haven't brought up is that, uh, I forget the name of it now, but we, we both talked about it in our past, uh, that dragon magazine article that was going on for a while, uh, that we both, I think read as teenagers. I wish I remember the name of it, but, um, I think one of, they had several really good pieces of advice that I still remember to the day, this day, but one of them was uh, talking about how when you make a campaign, especially when you're making your own setting, like think as local or as small as you can. So it's like, um, don't make like a whole entire continent. You're just wasting your time. It's the percentage is so low that they're going to see every, you know, elf empire in your, your vast realm so just like focus on like their hometown which i think in Doyce worked out really well like they they did a good job of that of just like here's Fandolin. we're gonna give you very fuzzy details and just before i ran it i just kind of filled in those details and kept it at that and then uh as it went on like you know as she went to other places i was like oh well, i gotta think about this now and how do they actually interact with Vandalin and at one point like I was like oh well I guess half like there's going to be a big expedition to help this other town out because that only makes sense because this guy's like an old fighter or whatever so especially when you're starting out like starting the campaign try not to overwork yourself like burn out before the game even starts just like think as locally as possible do only the necessary details for the first session more or less you remember that article now? <laughs> I forgot. What it was yeah. And, and it, and it fits with some of the Matt Colville type advice. Um, and what we're saying, yes, come up with the broad general strokes of what the game's supposed to be about. But when it comes to what you have to immediately have, that requires only like what's there for this adventure. So yes, be sure that you know the broad strokes of what's going on in the campaign. Be sure that you know, is there some kind of big bad guy? Do you have a big plan for what's up? Do you have a point that you're trying to get to? But then focus in on... Excuse me. The town that this game is taking place in. Focus in on instead this heist. Do that stuff. And you don't need to have everything else. You don't need to know all the inner workings of the city. You don't need to have a whole world map. You don't need to have pantheons of gods and goddesses and that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Like You just need what this game is about. How the characters are connected to one another and to the plot that we start with. And then you need a starting element a starting adventure a starting task 
that reinforces all those things and ties those things together. Yeah, like so that inciting way. Inciting incident. Yeah. So now, okay, we know that all of us are working for Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia <laughs> is the is the badass mob connected um, casino boss from uh, like who we all have to work for. We all fucked him over earlier, and now he's back. And if we don't do these things for him, we're screwed. So we have to do these things to save our own skins. Ocean's Twelve. <laughs> that's so, that, that's my suggestion. Yeah. Now some good advice. Um, let's see. Do we have anything else? Can you give any other starting campaign must dos? I said this already. Start the campaign with a task where the characters are already on the, in that task, and then flash back to here's where we're in a tavern meeting and that kind of stuff. So that way you can get to it. So if it's like, if we already start at the gate of the dungeon and we're getting in and then the orcs attack and we're fighting the orcs and then we say, okay, let's flash back. Now a week earlier, you're in, you're in this tavern. Now we can do all the getting the team together shit that you want to do and like have that cool scene but you now have, you have to be together because after all, you're all fighting those orcs mm -hmm. as opposed to like, my character's not, he's just so cool. Like he's gonna, he's like, like mm -hmm. I am the druid of the wood. I know, I know need not these adventures of man. Like, <laughs> okay, well eventually you get to those. So how do we get there? Mm -hmm. That's my uh, an, an easy suggestion that I have is start almost in media res, like we said, and then flashback. Yeah, and that um, since whenever I learned about that cats thing, uh, it's just been so useful too. I feel like that's uh, solved a lot of potential problems that we could have had. But yeah, pretty good talk. So you're ready to do the um, the vampire Victorian murder mystery with um, Squawky, the cyborg parrot. We could try. I mean, is Squawky the kind of like the narrative? Is Squawky the, the, the being through whom we observe everything else? Where Squawky is this like time traveling cyborg parrot and then we see these other things through Squawky's eyes. Wow, are you reading my notes? Because I did want time traveling to be one of his skills. I picked it at eight points, so. Okay, well, here's Ready? the shitty thing. It's eight <laughs> points out of 100, so he's not very good at time traveling. Damn it. Though he's better than me, who has at zero points of time traveling. <laughs> so in some ways, he's pretty fucking good. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm ready then. All right, cool. Good advice. Um, yeah. So keep on it, folks. Keep your stick on the ice, and we'll see. <laughs> As we always say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, our Canadian, our Canadian hockey um, suggestion podcast. <laughs> keep your stick on the ice, kids. Thanks for joining us for this American Dice Presents GM Advice Starting a Campaign. Austin and David will be back, I'm sure, next week for some more exciting adventures and maybe some more GM advice. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review the whole Megillah for this American Dice. We'll see you next week, folks.